powered by Adept Group. This is the Unpacking Excellence Podcast with Daniel Beardsworth. Daniel Beardsworth. Bringing together top packaging professionals to share insight and knowledge on all things packaging. Now, introducing your host, Daniel Beardsworth. Welcome to Adept Group's Unpacking Excellence Podcast. I'm the host, Daniel Beardsworth, and I'm joined today by my colleague and one of our sustainability experts, MJ Warline. Our guest today is Wendell Simonson, the Director of Marketing for Eco Products. Uh, Wendell, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And um, MJ, uh, thanks again, as usual, for coming back and, and uh, helping me out. Yeah. Um, Wendell, can you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got interested in sustainability? Yeah, sure. Um, beginning of my career, I was a teacher, actually, and it's a, it's a good way to start a career in sustainability and marketing because there's a lot of education that's involved in this. Um, first time I ever encountered compostable packaging is when I was in business school at the University of Colorado and saw some of Eco Products' first items in use at the football stadium where they started the first ever zero waste initiative for a large scale sports venue, something that I would go on to work at over the years at Eco Products. Um, and then I was at Eco Products for almost nine years, my first time around, um, left for a while and worked at the Biodegradable Products Institute, which is the, um, the leading certifier and advocate for compostable packaging in North America. So learned a lot about um, how composters are interacting with compostable packaging and the challenges that they're having, as well as um, the standards and BPI's approach to verification there. And then just recently came back to Eco Products about three months ago and trying to bring all of that new learning that I had out in the world back to, to Eco Products. You mentioned kind of encountering uh, Eco Products in the wild when you were a student. Can you? Talk a little bit about what those products are and sort of what Eco Products does. Yeah. Um, so the early focus was on compostable products, right? And the important thing to know about that is compostable products were designed to try to solve this issue of getting food out of landfill. Um, and the challenge with food going to landfill, right, is that it's a climate issue. It's a, one of the climate issues that people don't tend to talk about as much as like carbon emissions from transportation. But when food breaks down in an anaerobic landfill environment, it creates methane, which is a really serious greenhouse gas, particularly on a short term basis. And so we've got a lot of urgency around that. You know, there's more food in landfill than any other thing, which is also a surprising data point for a lot of people. Rightfully so. We're very focused on recycling and keeping more traditional single-use items out of landfills, but when those items go to landfills, they're stable, right? They don't make things any worse for having been there the way that food does. And because food is so mixed up in the food service stream with traditional packaging, which is not compostable, that little bit of plastic or non-compostable paper that's mixed in with that food service organic stream often has to go to landfill. And the thought was, what if that was compostable instead, then all of that material could go together to the composter. And that's how the compostable products kind of industry got its start. And Eco Products was at the forefront of that. As I was doing a little digging into you know, Eco Products in general and, and you know what you guys do, I kept seeing the term sustainable disposables used. And I think that kind of might jump out to people 
um, is sort of an interesting phrase. What are the specific kind of materials that you're talking about that fit under that umbrella? Generally, we're talking about materials made from renewable resources, talking about finished items that are certified compostable. And we're also talking about products made from post-consumer recycled materials. And in our view, all of those different attributes check the box for that term that you use, sustainable disposables. And I think it's important to note, right, that we're not going to be able to just flip a switch and turn our whole culture into a reusable culture overnight, as much as there are a lot of people that would like us to be able to do that. And so compostable packaging, packaging made from post-consumer recycled content represents a bridge to a spot where we can actually outfit food service operations to be more equipped to use more reusable items. But in, in the short term here, in, in, a, in a world where we don't have those solutions immediately, we have to have something better than legacy traditional packaging, which in a food service environment, oftentimes landfill is the only you know, end of life option for it. When you're talking about, you know, keeping things out of the landfill, what are some of the, the biggest obstacles that we have right now to having a food industry where we're not sending a big stream of contaminated with food, you know, waste or food in general to the landfill? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of obstacles to it, for sure. I mean, from a composting point of view, one of the challenges that most of the composters in the United States are yard waste composters, actually, only accepting yard waste. And there's a whole story behind how that came to be. But from a, a permitting point of view and complexity of operation point of view, to add food waste and packaging as materials that you will accept as a, as a composter, it gets tricky fast. And so the number of options that there are for food service operations across the country to be able to divert their food waste and associated packaging and composters is still fairly limited. And then from a recycling point of view, you know, recycling has a lot of challenges that have been well documented over the years. And traditionally, a lot of the food service items, because they are coming into contact with food, you know, that contamination from food actually renders recycling as a less attractive option for those materials as well. So a lot of the food service packaging waste stream with in the absence of good infrastructure for composting and given what I just said about recycling means that landfill is actually the only option for those items. And with regards to legislations that are coming up in different states and different rules and even different municipalities in those states, what are, you, what are you seeing as the current and the new state? And what do you maybe potentially see would be a future state? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of activity going on for sure. So that's good. Compostable products have their own set of issues that we need to solve for. A lot of it revolves around contamination from non-compostable products. And a big piece of solving that is on-item labeling and making sure that we're doing a better job with consumer education at point of disposal and doing a, doing a good job with on-item labeling. So I'm talking about like a compostable call out on the item and a certification mark. Those are the kinds of things that can help people identify a compostable item relative to its non-compostable counterpart. And there's 
there's no uniformity around approaches to that labeling other than BPI certification and BPI's requirements around the use of their certification mark on items that they certify. Washington State has gotten out in front of this and has passed actually two different labeling bills specific to compostable products to try to move the industry to a better place on labeling. So I'd highlight that as an interesting example. And then you've got some other examples where states are putting out diversion rate types of goals. So for example, we'll say, you know, 90% of uh, single use packaging sold in X state has to either be recyclable, compostable, or reusable by X date. Often those, those help get people's attention, but unless there's infrastructure lined up to help support those goals, uh, it can be a little bit challenging. Um, and then we're also seeing some states enact mandatory organics diversion laws. So those are laws that actually require businesses and residents to compost. That's really been interesting. And it's, it's again, it's good from an awareness point of view. It helps bring people's attention on those, that connection between compostable packaging, food and climate change. I was talking about at the start, they ask, why is it, why is the state forcing us to compost? Well, it's because it's a climate issue. But what that's doing is putting a lot of pressure from a volume point of view on composters who just haven't had to deal with that, that level of contamination. Oftentimes it's coming with all that new material headed their way. Yeah, and it's very challenging right now because there's a lot of companies trying to meet some goals that are pretty much coming up pretty quick, 2030, 2050, and switching to a compostable product right? Without the infrastructure there, to your point, whether it's a food packaging or not, it's, it's very challenging for the composting industry and the composting packaging to, to get a leg up. Right. And again, because for the most part, from a food service point of view, given the challenges of trying to recycle a lot of food service packaging that's been contaminated with food in particular, composting is really the only the only avenue, right? And so, yes, you're absolutely right. It's putting a lot of pressure on that infrastructure that's still in its infancy. Like we like to say, well, not like to, but do say a lot that composting is where recycling was like 50 or 60 years ago, right? But when recycling was in its infancy and, and getting up and going, like there weren't these aggressive targets right around recycling being put out there by state legislatures and again we're we're largely supportive of those kinds of things but it only makes good sense if you've got the infrastructure legislation designed to support that right and oftentimes that's not what we're seeing yeah and and with these legislations coming to fruition and just composting and packaging in general have you heard anything from your side with regards to the push for home composting? For sure, right? So when I was at BPI, that was a, a topic that came up a lot. And in fact, BPI has been working on a like a now over a year long study of looking at items that have been certified by uh, BPI's counterpart in Europe, who does offer a home compostability certification. Right. One of the challenges with home composting is there isn't a third party standard or at least hasn't been for most of the time that BPI has been in existence. 
recently Australia got to a standard that, and that's actually the one that BPI has been using to evaluate a set of items on to determine if BPI can actually get to a home certification. But it's tricky, right? And but I would often tell people that, you know, we're not going to home compost our way out of our food waste to landfill problem, right? So all of these contamination challenges and broader lack of infrastructure on the composting side, we're still going to need to solve all of those problems at the commercial level. And that home composting is sort of like a nice to have added thing. It would be a great behavior pattern to get people who have like a home environment, like a backyard or a place to have like a tumbler or something like that. It'd be a great practice to get people uh, introduced to, right? Um, but there's only so much packaging that can be fed into a small home compost pile before it's no longer a good end of life option for that packaging. I mean, that's kind of the example that I always use. And that's why I say we're not really going to home compost our way out of this problem that we're in. We're always going to need to fix the commercial infrastructure piece, which means we're going to need to add processing infrastructure and we're going to need to add collection infrastructure as well. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Speaking of that that piece that we're going to need to grow, uh, you know, kind of the compostable infrastructure that we have, is Eco Products doing any work on that end to kind of expand access to commercial composting? Yes. So Eco Products has been engaged with the composters in all of our markets for as long as we've been operating. And actually, we now have a, a whole dedicated role within the company that's called Product and Zero Waste Specialists. And they are out there. Their specific job is to make sure that they know and are working with every composter in a given region that eco-products operators, right? So the coffee shops and stadiums and corporate campuses are either sending their material to or would like to be able to send their material to. So it's sort of like a boots on the ground approach to composter engagement, you know, and trying to prove out the notion that the system can work if the right controls are in place. And again, I'm gonna keep coming back to contamination, right? So the whole thing is about, can the operator deliver a stream of material to a composter that's relatively contaminant free? Because unlike recycling, where we've gotten people accustomed to putting their materials in, in a bin, that's probably the color blue, and then it gets picked up at their curbside and off it goes, right? And if there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that doesn't have a home, in terms of an end market um, perspective for recycled products, then it goes to landfill. But, you know, while that's not a great outcome, what people don't realize is because they've gotten so accustomed to be able to putting, be able to put their, their items into a blue bin at their curbside and get it taken away and to never be seen again. Um, the composting model doesn't have that sorting technology that happens at your local MRF, which is municipal recover, municipal, municipal recycling facility, that piece doesn't exist for composters. And so largely, we need to be able to deliver composters a relatively contaminant-free stream in order for the system to work, which means we need a lot of controls from a procurement point of view. We need really consistent education given to customers, fans, what have you, at the, at the operator level. And then Frequently, what we see is the need to have a sort in place before that material is picked up by a hauler. All of these things need to happen to make sure that we're not sending composters 
loads that have contamination because it's is a huge problem for the composter business model because once they get that material there's not a whole lot that they can do other than throw labor at it which is of course an expensive proposition yeah it's really interesting i find that again it works really well in a closed loop system and whether or not even at that point the consumers educated the sort seems to happen so at what was previously called Safeco Field in Washington State, they had that same closed loop system with collection of food and packaging, you know, and it went to Cedar Grove, which was great. And universities do it now. And I think those are great places to start this kind of education, if you will, to consumers that typically wouldn't maybe think about composting. Yep. And so Eco Products has been working with what used to be called Safeco Field, right? And now I believe it's T-Mobile. But we were working with them early on on this. And I would tell you that, that the model that they've got in place there, unfortunately, is the outlier example, right? If everybody did what the Mariners have been doing over the years and the Minnesota Twins have been doing over the years and the CU football stadium has been doing, then we wouldn't be in the position that we're in now where a lot of composters are sitting on the sidelines of even accepting food waste because of the threat of contamination from non-compostable products. And again, it goes back to this thing of, I don't think consumers have any idea how big of an issue it is if the wrong thing gets to the composter, right? Because that same challenge doesn't exist on the recycling side. And, and, actually at these stadiums they could show even a two-minute video to tell people not just a we're a closed loop facility and we collect everything and recycle it but an actual video to tell people you know right. some will watch it some won't but there's like a great opportunity for someone to put education out there to thousands of people that are in the same place yeah and i mean the better way to do it right is to to control it from the procurement perspective Right. And to make sure that that everything is being done to minimize the total number of non-compostable items that actually are purchased for use in the food service operations at the ballpark. Right. And so as technology has evolved, we've been able to check more and more things off the list that, you, that didn't used to have compostable options for it in Major League Baseball. Of course, the peanut bag has been a good example of one that there wasn't an immediate solution for um, but over time we were able to get there um, and some other films as well what's challenging in a lot of major league ballparks is you can still take food in with you into the game so of course we'll never be able to control to the extent we want to be able to for that agreed kind of touched on a variety of, of topics surrounding sustainability and, and food service, but are there any things that we kind of haven't touched on that you think are important? It's hard to overstate the difference between putting the wrong thing in the compost bin versus putting quote unquote, the wrong thing in the recycling bin, right? The infrastructure for sorting on the recycling side has developed over the last 50 or 60 years to the point where we feel comfortable giving consumers a bin that they can put all of their paper and plastic material in and that the, the things that are going to be collected for recycling and sold on the end markets versus the things that are not will be handled behind the scenes and that 
to a large degree, none of that exists for composters, right? And so for that value proposition I was talking about earlier, right, for compostable packaging to be this vehicle to get food out of landfill, it puts a lot of pressure on the system to be able to deliver a contaminant-free organic stream to the composter, right? And we just don't have those controls in place in a systematic way. And so that's really the spot that we're in right now is trying to figure out a systems approach to managing contamination that can give composters more confidence than they have right now, that they can accept food waste and packaging and not have it hurt their business. Do you know of any kind of um, innovations or, or new developments that are sort of maybe were on the verge of being available to help tackle some of those issues? Yeah, so there's screening technology that exists. There's some depackaging technology that exists. And there's new approaches to labeling and even some sorting, you know, optical sorting technology has existed on the recycling side for some time. And the thought is, could we get to a similar thing for organics? And I know that that's something that's being worked on too, in terms of contamination mitigation. But on the whole, we're still dealing with a situation that requires the composter to spend a lot of money, basically, that they probably don't have lying around to deal with the contamination coming into their facilities. And that's the thing that's keeping a lot of them on the sidelines. Uh, Wendell, I wanna thank you for you know, taking some time out of your day to talk to us here. Um, I think that was a lot of really good information you know, about um, um, sort of the work that's being done in the food service industry and sort of what we can do a little better to make sure that we're not adding to the, the waste to landfills problem. Um, so I, I appreciate your sharing your expertise on that. Um, are there any kind of you know notes you want to add before we wrap up here? No, I mean, I think what we're going to see more and more of, people are going to see composting as a conversation that's not going away, and that's a really good thing. But what we need to do is to educate the consumer base around what compostability means, um, how compostable products are different from their non-compostable counterparts, and to make sure that people know that the stakes are high when they're in a situation where there are compost bins, um, that even though they're likely there as a part of a fun evening out, and they may not want to think too hard about what to put into what bin, that it actually matters a lot to the future success of that venue's composting operation. If they do watch the video on the scoreboard and they do pay attention to the bin signage uh, and they do their part in making sure that we're delivering composters as contaminant free of a stream as possible. I'd say that if the more that we can do that and raise awareness around the importance of doing that, the better our chances will be for keeping more of that food at a landfill than we're able to do today. Uh, MJ, did you have anything else that you wanted to, to kind of touch on before we wrap up here? No, I just wanted to thank Wendell for all this great information. I think that this really opens up some windows and doors to for some people to really think more about using compostable packaging and looking to the future as to how they can use it and use it well in their packaging or food service applications. All right. Uh, well, on that note, then we'll we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks again, Wendell, for making some time for us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to Unpacking Excellence with Daniel Beardsworth. Daniel Beardsworth. For more resources on all things packaging, head to our website, adeptpackaging.com. Don't forget to subscribe and thanks again for listening.